Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. In the future, entertainment will be randomly generated. Randomly generated? Randomly generated. What better way to achieve the unexpected? I've seen the future, Bob, and the future is autotainment. Hi, Rusty. Hi, Ventrilomatic. Hi, Larry. Hi, Bob. Greetings. Hey, those are robots. Affirmative. Not only that, but these guys represent the hosts of the future. Unlike us, their humor can be truly randomly generated. Right, guys? Why did the chicken cross the road? I don't know. Why did the chicken cross the road? Weed eater. Now that's funny. That doesn't make any sense. It's funny because it's unexpected. Well, whatever happened to it's funny because it's true? Two plus two equals four is true, but not funny. Guys? What is the solution to the equation two plus two? I don't know. What does two plus two equal? Weed eater. That's a good one. That's a good one. I want to welcome you again. My name is Christian. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, we took a look at VeggieTales. If you're not familiar, this is from 2003, the wonderful world of autotainment. And there's this question of, well, what's funny? Is it funny because it's unexpected or is it funny because it's true? You say, well, why are we looking at VeggieTales this morning? A few reasons. One, I found it interesting as just a prophecy of meme culture today, right? So there's going to be this random generator that's going to create humor. Uh, again, that was 2003. Here we are 18 years later, and uh, it's not that far off. So a little, little prophetic word from the VeggieTales guys. Um, it's also interesting as an introduction to our fifth minor prophet. We've been in this series, Minor Prophets, Major Mission, and today we turn to the story of Jonah. And I think it's an interesting introduction to Jonah, uh, which if we were to probably pull you all and ask about the minor prophets, you say, which one are you most familiar with? I think most of us have some idea of the book of Jonah. If, if, if your experience with the Bible, with church, with anything related to Christianity is severely limited, that's fine, that's okay. But my guess is you've heard something about some guy running away from God, getting swallowed by a fish, something, right? I mean, that, you've heard some kind of story. So I, I think this is an interesting introduction to Jonah for a couple reasons. One, as we begin to read this story, it's filled with irony. It's a story filled with irony. It's actually a story masterfully written, uh, filled with unexpected tension and contrast. And these are intentional uh, stories. This is intentional storytelling. So, so there's this element of the unexpected, just as Bob and Larry were talking about when it comes to, to humor. And there's also questions about its truth. Okay? As we think about the book of Jonah, there's these questions that get raised. It is, if you... Uh, you know, if you'll bear with me, it, it's a bit fishy, okay? It's a bit of a fishy story. And, yeah, see, that was great. Yeah, you guys are good, okay. Uh, but it's fishy because we wonder, well, did this really happen? It, are, are we talking about something that is true, or are we just talking about a, an interesting story? 
And, and I also thought it was a, an interesting introduction because VeggieTales is, is well known for Jonah, right? Their great, their big movie was the Jonah movie. And they actually do a pretty good job with the story. But, but by and large, a lot of times our experience with this story, there, there might be some pieces missing or some things that are so highlighted that we miss what's really going on in the story. So again, there's, there's some things that are unexpected. And so we ask this question, is it just a tale about a man swallowed by a fish? And as I want us to see today, in fact, it is about much, much more. And so, like I said, we've been looking at this series of prophets who are only minor in terms of the length of their writing, um, but whose messages have a major impact on our understanding of God's purposes in and through our lives. That, that's what we've been, been trying to say, is, is understand what did God do through these men, through their writings, that, and, and what does that mean for us today? And so what I want to do, we're going to turn to Jonah, and I'm not going to read the whole book today. You guys, when you get into your Grove groups this week, uh, you'll read through it. It, it won't take long, um, but I, I will hit some major aspects of this to, to give us an idea of the story of Jonah, okay? So we're going to turn to Jonah today to find his answer to this question. Can we run from God? Can we run from God? And so I want to introduce Jonah to you. We'll talk like we have, give you a little bit of the, the background, and then we'll, we'll look into the story of Jonah. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, this is what we find. This is the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. This was the word. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Okay, so let's again, let's just talk about the background here. First, who's Jonah? Well, you see he's the son of Amittai. He actually shows up, we'll see this, or you see that below, he, he shows up in one other major place in the Old Testament. Uh, he'll also show up in the New Testament, but his name means dove. Now, is that significant? Perhaps he's been sent as a messenger of sorts, and, and we find doves as messengers in the Old Testament, but that's the name of of Jonah, and he's been called to go to Nineveh. Now, the city of Nineveh is 500 miles from Joppa, and Joppa is going to factor in here as we, we look. Um, he's going to try to go to, uh, he's in Joppa, and he's going to be called to go to Nineveh, 500 miles away. And Nineveh was situated across the Tigris River. Okay, there's a major river that runs through what is modern-day Iraq, and it was, it's known as the Tigris River. And it was right across that river from what is now Mosul, Iraq. So you've probably heard of Baghdad, but the other major city in Iraq, Mosul, Iraq. And Nineveh, and specifically the Assyrians, this, this nation, empire that existed at this time, and they weren't even as powerful in Jonah's day as they would become, but Nineveh, the Assyrians, were known for being barbarians. Some of the ways that they dealt with people are horrific. Okay, now, you, you can read of some horrific things in the Old Testament, but know this, that the Ninevites, the Assyrians, uh, these, were, these were bad dudes. Okay? Um, they did some horrible things in their conquests. And so there's a little bit of that's what's going on. This is what God says, hey, their evil has come up before me. And that's part of this evil that has come up before God. And now God is bringing judgment on the Ninevites, and he calls Jonah to deal with them, to, to preach this message that God has for them. We don't, under, we don't know exactly when 
Uh, this was all written down ex- and, and given to us like this, but we'll, we'll talk more about how it was written and, and what we might take away from that. But we do understand that Jonah prophesied around 780 B.C. You can go to 2 Kings 14, um, and you, you see another time where Jonah, son of Amittai, is preaching uh, or prophesying. He was a contemporary of Amos uh, and Hosea, and he's a source for Jesus' teaching. Okay, so again, we'll look at that a little later. But, but here's what I want us to know. It's a simple tale, right? Four chapters. Again, you're going to read this in your girl groups this week. Um, it flows really nicely. I mean, if, if, and it's unique in that way because most of the time when we're reading the, the prophets, um, we're, we're re- especially the minor prophets, we're just reading their message. But here, the, the message is very minor in this prophet. Here it's just the story of what happened to this prophet. And so it's a simple but sophisticated tale, and it points us to an even greater miracle that is at the center of a larger mission. Again, this miracle of, hey, this guy gets swallowed by a fish, gets vomited back on land, we're going to look at that. But, but that, there's, there's something miraculous involved in that, no doubt. But there's a, a greater miracle at the center of a larger mission, okay? And so let's, let's kind of walk through this story. Jonah chapter 1, and, and I think we can just define this, and we're just trying to summarize. Chapter 1 is a prophet runs and pagans repent, okay? So jo- chapter 1, what we find is that a prophet runs and pagans repent. Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. So here's the very basic plot here. Jonah says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going. He says, I'm going to set sail, basically going 2,000 miles away. He's going to set sail for Tarshish from Joppa, headed completely the other direction. Where he was, okay, you go East to go to, to Nineveh, he's going west. Okay? I'm running, but he's not just running from Nineveh. We're told he's running from the Lord's presence. He wants to get away from God and from what God has for him. Okay? It says a little later in chapter 1, it says, uh, as he makes his way, he gets on this, this boat. Okay, I'll look at this in a second, but he, he gets on the boat, and, uh, and a storm erupts. So he gets on this boat, filled with sailors. These guys, they don't know anything about this God that Jonah's supposed to serve. And a storm erupts. And they go, who are you? What are you doing here? What, do you have anything to do with this storm that we're dealing with? And this is his answer. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Okay? Here, Jonah gets real religious, kind of snooty. Yeah, maybe you've known somebody like this. Maybe you've been like this. You know, but... Oh, you want my credentials? Sure, I, I serve the Lord. He's the God who made the heavens and the dry land. He makes it all of this. And these pagan sailors, can, even they can understand, well, what are you doing? They've told, he's told them, I've, I'm running from this God. And he says, wait, this is a God that actually has control over all these things? Well, duh, that's what's going on. And so here's Jonah. He knows exactly why he's in trouble, but he's trying to get away with it. He's trying to get away with it. And so what happens? Well, a little while later, they, they say, well, if you're the one that's causing the problem, what, what do we do? And here we see Jonah's not just trying to get away. Jonah will do anything he can 
to not follow through on what God has called him to. And so verse 12, it says, He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. He says, I, I know this is a problem. But notice this, Jonah didn't just jump in the water. He tells them, hey, you guys throw me in and this will all get calmed down. He wants to implicate them in his running from God, which is important. He wants them to do the dirty work of helping him get away from God. It's essentially a death sentence. Jonah knows. That's what he's thinking. Throw me in. I will die. You'll be saved. You'll be okay. But now I don't have to deal with what God is asking me to do. That's the depths of how much Jonah wants to not do this thing that God has asked him. What's the result? Well, they throw him in. But they don't do it. They, they do it reluctantly. And ultimately then, after they see what God does in, in stilling the storm, they respond. It says in verse 16, the men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now what's significant here, what's significant is these men, they, and, and we're told in the story, they, they serve other gods. They have no sense that Yahweh, that, that Jonah's God, is the God. But now they've seen this God in action. And the response is repentance. They realize, whoa, 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 this is the one to be worshipped. And if they made a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows in this culture, this isn't just them while they're out at sea going, yeah, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really get my act together now. Uh, here's, we got some money in our pockets, we'll, we'll toss that into the sea, and, and you know, we're, we're really committed. That's not what's going on. What we're, what we're understanding is that even after this, when they made their way back on the land, they would have had to go somewhere where they could make acceptable offerings to the Lord in this time frame. This Jewish, the Jewish understanding of a sacrifice and vows, they would have had to go to a temple, go to the temple and make these kinds of sacrifices and vows. This is a massive shift for these pagan sailors. They're doing what Jonah had failed to do. They're obeying, whereas Jonah is fleeing. So again, this unexpected, wait, if anybody should be making vows and sacrificing and doing these things, it should be the prophet, right? No, instead it's the pagans. But then what happens to Jonah? Verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And this is what we, we know of Jonah. Right? Now we get to what we think is the good stuff. Oh yeah, this is where, this is the heart of Jonah. This is, this is the stuff. There's this fish. Jonah swallowed. Is it a whale? Is it some other creature? What is it? How, does he, how is that even possible? Right? All of a sudden our mind's racing with the fish. Which brings us to chapter 2. That is, a grave gives a second chance. A grave gives a second chance. I want you to hold off on why should I believe this actually happened. Okay, and I'm not here to, to get into that fully. Okay, we, can, we can talk more. I can give you more reasons. But we will talk about that to some degree. Why do I think that Jonah's a real man, that this really happened? But, but understand, we're, we're being told something here in chapter 2. A grave gives a second chance. And here's what we find. Jonah's been swallowed. We're told he's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, which could be, in, in Jewish counting, that could be that he was 
swallowed in the evening of one day. He lived there for an entire day and then was out of the fish the next morning. But he was in there for three calendar days in, in terms of parts of three calendar days. Okay? E- even if that's as long as he's in there, that in, in Jewish counting that would have consisted of these three days and three nights. It, it's an idiom of sorts, okay, describing what takes place. And then we're told in chapter 2, verse 1, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. There's some point where Jonah is there, he's alive, and he's able to pray to the Lord. And essentially what we find at the heart of his prayer, verse 6, he says this, I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. Now, there's some scholars, who have, and they have good reason to believe, that Jonah actually died in that fish. That at some point he died, and then the Lord resuscitated him. Now, there's a difference, we'll, we'll see this, there's a difference between resuscitation and resurrection. Jonah died again. In fact, there's a, there's a lot of history related to the burial place of Jonah. A lot of archaeology where, where the burial place of Jonah uh, digs around that, that area. So, so Jonah eventually died, but some scholars would believe that he actually passed away in that fish, and then the Lord resuscitated him. Regardless, right, something amazing has taken place, because he lived in this fish for some period, and then what we find here at the end of chapter 2, verse 10, then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So Jonah's in the belly of this grave. And in that, he comes to a certain level of repentance. He never actually says, God, I'm really, I, I've really done wrong. But he does cry out to the Lord to be helped. And the Lord gives him a second chance. And so he's vomited onto dry land. Now at this point, whatever dry land, we don't know exactly where that fish vomits him up and he ends up back on the dry land. But wherever he is, he is still likely 500 miles from Nineveh. So, so a lot of times the way this gets presented, you're reading the little children's book, you're watching a little video, is Jonah gets spat up and then there's Nineveh. He's just right there on the beaches and then he's walking into the gates of Nineveh. He's got a 500-mile trek to get to these people. He's got a lot of time to think. He's come out of the belly of a fish, which means he smells really, 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 really bad. He probably looks really, really terrible. There's a lot of things going on in Jonah's, in Jonah's life. He's got 500 miles to think about it and consider. And he knows that God has told him again to go, which brings us to chapter 3. The prophet preaches, and more pagans repent. Jonah chapter 3 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. And so Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. So again, he's on the beach. God's word, God's word comes to him again. Same thing, same kind of message, same message. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and go preach what I'm going to tell you. And so Jonah begins to make his journey into Nineveh. And he gets there, and he tells them, look, 40 days, and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. you got 40 days to, to clean this up. 
That, that's all we're told. Now, the likelihood is that he said more. Some will disagree. Well, this is all he says, and this is amazing. That this is all he says there in chapter 3. He says this baby basically one-word message, and, and they all have this response that we'll see here in a second. Maybe. Or, or, or maybe he said more. Because we we're told in chapter 1 that the evil, that their evil had come to the Lord. And so it's likely that Jonah says a little bit more than what you would read there in chapter 3. But nonetheless, Jonah goes and he preaches. And here's how the people of Nineveh respond. Chapter 3, verse 10. Well, what we're told is that they respond in repentance. The king is the leader. And the king says, man, we got to, yeah, let's fix this. And so he calls for a fast. And they, they, the entire city, and they even involve their animals in this repentance. And so they say, no, we, we want, maybe the Lord will be merciful to us. Again, pagans who don't care what Yahweh says, but they've heard this message and they go, oh, this God is going to deal with us harshly because of our evil. We know we're guilty. And the likelihood in Nineveh, historically, is they had dealt with some different situations, earthquakes, some different things in that, that time period that likely made them more susceptible, made them more eager to respond. But nonetheless, they do. They repent. And then here's how God responds to their repentance. Verse 10, God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. And this is what God had told them. You say, well, God changed his mind. Some, some versions will say he repented as if he had done something wrong. It's just the word is he changed his mind. Now, but he had told them, if you repent, I will do this. So they did what he said. They did what he said. And so he did what he said. He relented from the disaster. Now, at this point, and, and sometimes when you read this story in, in different interpretations, different children's books and things, this is the end of the story. And, and you read it, you go, well, shouldn't that be the end of the story? I mean, right, happy ending. Message, you know, the, the Jonah, he gets his second chance. The Ninevites, they get their second chance. God relents everybody's happy, even the animals are doing good, we're all happy, great. More than that, question answered, right? Can you run from God? No. And here's the thing, David had already answered that question. Psalm 139, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, just like Jonah did, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. Jonah knew. He knew you can't run from God. David knew. The, the people of God knew. You don't run from God. He is the God of the heavens. He's the God of the sea and the land. He's got it everywhere. You can't run from him. And so again, Shouldn't this be the end of the story? Just happy ending, tie a bow? In fact, this is where the story takes this really interesting turn, one that, if not skipped altogether very often, it's a turn that leaves us wondering again. Chapter 4. The prophet pouts over God's compassion. Look what we find in chapter 4. And here I want you to just hear the entire chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, 
Isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide a shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. And then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh? which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. Now, a few things going on here. One, we finally learn, why did Jonah run? We can have our guesses, and if you read the story, then you, maybe you knew, but, but if you're first reading of, of Jonah, if you're just coming to Jonah and reading this, you're still wondering, why is he so bent on disobeying? And here Jonah tells us. Jonah is so certain of God's compassion. In fact, he quotes there at the beginning of chapter 4, he quotes Exodus 34, 6, which is known among God's people, among the Jews, as this definition of God's character. He quotes God's compassion back at him. And he's so disgusted by God's compassion being directed at those that he hates that he sets out to sabotage his own life and anyone who gets in the way. I want you to think about what's just gone on. The number of times Jonah says, I, I want to die. He despairs of his own life. He is so disgusted that God could show compassion to these Ninevites who have caused all kinds of problems. For his people. He says, I would rather go anywhere else. I'd rather my life be ended. I'd rather drag these pagan sailors along with me in my suicide attempt, have their blood on my hand on their hand, my blood on their hands. I want to die rather than see God be compassionate to the people I hate. And we have a hard time. Feeling guilty when we just you know, aren't nice to our family members. Say, can I, can I walk with God and have some really messed up views of things? Yeah. Because that's what's happening here with Jonah. And what's interesting is even after experiencing that compassion in this life-altering way, right? The guy lived in a fish. 
and then is given a second chance. After experiencing that kind of compassion himself, Jonah can't get over himself. He watches the greatest single revival this side of Jesus, and the only thing that gives him pleasure is this weed-eater cabana that grows up over the top of him. That's when he's happy. 120,000 who can't distinguish between their right and their left, scholars think maybe that's referring to kids. Just, uh, there's 120 kids, plus there's animals, not to mention all the adults in this city. And they've repented. And the only thing that gives Jonah any pleasure is his own life being comfortable. So this question then, why is this even included? Why make a point to deal with Jonah? Why does God take the time to even deal with this guy at this point? I think the answer is because while God is interested in people, he's interested in persons. He's interested in each of us. His concern extends not just to Jonah's job, it extends to Jonah's heart, just as it does to each of ours. So it's here that we see the big idea of Jonah. Here it is. God's mission will be accomplished. And it will be accomplished either in spite of you or it will be accomplished including you. God's mission will be accomplished in spite of you or including you. God's mission was accomplished in spite of Jonah. He did everything he could to sabotage what God had in store for the Ninevites. And God's mission prevailed. So the question for us is, again, are we going to run? Will God's mission include us? Or will it happen in spite of us? God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. He is that. And so the question is, how does that strike you? Is that reassuring? Or is it ridiculous? I mean, if you're honest, the thought of a, a God who deals with people by putting them in the middle of a belly of a fish, I mean, and yet is called compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, is that reassuring to you? Or is it ridiculous? You see, again, this description of God's character, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, that was meant to be an anchor for God's people for all time. But it became a weight that eventually dragged Jonah to the bottom of the sea. And for each of us, we've got to deal with the character of God. And not just these descriptions of his character, but God himself, which brings us to a final chapter. You say, well, hold on. There's only four chapters. But here's chapter five. The prophet finally stops running. You say, what are you doing, Christian? Where? You know, I flipped over. Chapter 4, Micah 1. There is no chapter 5. So what do, where does that come from? Let me ask you this. 
And, and here I'm, I'm, I'm making a bit of a stretch, but I think there is good scholarly reason to, to believe this. And then I, my own seminary professor who taught me Jonah, had numerous of them because it's, a, it's an easy book to learn Hebrew and deal with a lot of things related to just reading the Bible in general. But, but here's the question. How do we know this story? How do we know what happened to Jonah? Only one answer. Jonah. Who, who knows what happened in the belly of that fish? Who knows what Jonah was thinking? Who knows what happened up on that mountaintop looking out over Nineveh? Who knows any of this? Just Jonah. He said, well, some people could have heard and seen it. Fine. Maybe they heard some things. But if they heard some things, they heard it from Jonah. Jonah had been running from his life by running from God. And so, here's what I want us to see, is the reason that we know this story is because Jonah wants us to hear it. At some point, whether he's the one that wrote this all down or he's the one that told the story and it got passed down and then was recorded for God's people, Jonah told us what took place here. And I don't know about you, but if I was telling this story, I'd probably, and I wanted to protect my reputation, I'd probably change a few details. I think Jonah could have made himself look just a little bit better than what we find here. And so here's my understanding. I think Jonah, this book, is written because Jonah's saying, I myself finally stopped running. And I want you to hear how God dealt with me. He's a prophet, and God uses his life, uses his experience and all of its non-glory to point us to a Savior. The book ends so abruptly, right? God asking Jonah this question, should I not have compassion? And it's a question that I think Jonah then had to wrestle with, and it's a question that each of us than are called to wrestle with as we read this story. And so I have these questions for you. As you think about what it means to run from God, as you think about whether your, God's mission will go forward, including you or in spite of you, are you running from God's call? First, are you running from God's call? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the Apostle Paul describing him and his ministry. What he's doing is describing the ministry of God's people. He's saying, look, there's one king of the universe. His name is Jesus. And he means for us to become his ambassadors, to represent him in this world and point people to his plan to remake the world. His mission will move on. And it's meant to include us. And it includes us 
as we respond in obedience to the things that he's called us to. You say, what has he called me to? This. <laughs> he's called us to live out his ways. You say, well, man, that's a lot. Yeah, and then he, he gave us himself to teach us how to do it. He gave us his people to help teach us how to do it. So are you running from God's call? Has God called you, first off, has God called you to himself? And you thought, you know, that's nice. It's for somebody else, though. Or, or you know, that's nice for now, but I, I got other things to focus on. I'll, I'll deal with the God thing later. Or as God called you, you know God's asking you to walk with him. He's asking you to trust him. He's asking you to put away some foolish thing that you've been doing. He's asking you to let go some, uh, of some way of life that you know doesn't add anything. You know is, is self-sabotage. And yet you keep running, thinking maybe I'll do it a little bit differently and God will, will now just become okay with it. I encourage you, don't run. Answer his call. And pray and ask him, God, make me obedient. Teach me to obey. Teach me to walk in your ways. He'll do that for you. There's another question, though, related to that. Why did Jonah run from God's call? It wasn't because he just altogether didn't want to do the things of God. He was running from God's call because he decided to run from God's love. And so that's the question for you. Are you running from God's love? Are you running from the compassion of God? Jonah became disgusted with God because he was a compassionate God. And he loved people that Jonah had already decided did not deserve to be loved. Poet T.J. Carlyle wrote this. I thought it was really interesting summary. Book of Jonah. He says, And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonah's to come around to his way of loving. You say, I like that God is loving. I just want him to love the way I do. I want him to love the people that it's easy and comfortable for me to love. And I don't want his love to cause me to have to rethink who and how I will love others. Or, you know, I, I like the idea of God's love, but I think his love is it, it's restrictive. It's like he, he loves us, but he actually like wants something f for us. And sometimes what he wants for us is not what we want for ourselves. And man, that's just, it's so, just cramping my style. Second Corinthians 5 goes on. It says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. That He is Jesus. And what we have to deal with, what we have to all wrestle with is that He defines sin and He defines righteousness and we have no say. He's not waiting around for us to give our modern spin on what He should think is right and wrong. He, he didn't do all this and then go, oh, but you know what? I didn't see 2020 coming. You know, yeah, there's some really messed up folks, and so maybe I need to rethink how this all goes down. Because you decided you don't like the people who really want to wear masks, and you don't like the people who really think we shouldn't wear masks, and you don't like the people whose politics are over here with the Republicans, and you don't like the people over here whose politics are more closely aligned with the Democrats, and you don't like how that person did this and that person did that, and we think we can decide what God's compassion should look like. And that our love can only go as far as we've already predetermined. And so we find ourselves in this tug-of-war pull, even among God's people, where we are running from the very compassion that has given us any reason to think we have any hope for all time. I am so weary. I am so weary. And I didn't expect to talk about this, but I'm so weary of watching I try to stay off social media because I don't want to pastor a church through it, but I'm so weary of watching people be ugly to one another as if what God has said doesn't matter as long as I'm typing it in to a social media account. I'm weary of people thinking that what happens in this country is more important than what Jesus has said is going to happen for all eternity. Guys, I'm proud to be an American, but I will only be an American until Jesus comes back or I die. Are you running from the compassion of God? Because he loves people that you don't think he should love. And he loves in a way that is both bigger and more defined than you think he should love. What that means is you think he should love everybody and have no consequences if we don't do what he says. And he says, no, that's not how it works. You can't run from my call. The Ninevites repented. I don't define righteousness. I don't define sin. God does. There's one king of the universe. His name is Jesus. And so we seek and ask him, God, make me compassionate. Wrestled all week with this going, you know, I'm just as guilty of deciding who it is that I should be easily wanting to show compassion to and I'm just as easily disgusted when things don't go the way I think they should and there's the compassion of God reeling me back in and showing me his mission will go on 
in spite of me or including me. What do I think that Jonah really lived and that this is a tale that's true? Because Jesus thought that. Matthew chapter 12. I won't read the whole thing, but, but he describes what happens to Jonah in talking to a crowd that had gathered. And he tells them, look, something greater than Jonah is here. Read the book of Jonah, and it's unexpected to have a selfish man like Jonah swallowed by a fish and then vomited back on dry land. It's unexpected to see a city like Nineveh repent. But then we look to Jesus, and beyond that, it is far more unexpected to see a selfless man like Jesus swallowed by death and then walk out of the grave. And while Jonah's preaching helped one group of people for a time, Jesus has come so that every people can repent. And so the seriousness of what this means is no laughing matter, but what Jonah wants us to know is the great joy that comes when we stop running from God and instead walk in obedience to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, You have called us to something that is far beyond what we can muster on our own. And I pray, Lord, that you would make us a people who are willing to run, walk, crawl, if that's as fast as we can go, but to head in the direction you're leading us. God, just help us to be patient with one another. Grow in us compassion. And God, help us to see that you have called us to a life that is far better than anything we could construct for ourselves. We pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day.